Hi, everyone. This is James Giglio, CEO of MVP Interactive, and welcome to the MVP Podcast. Our podcast will bring insight to a range of topics involving technology, consumer engagement, experiential marketing, and general business-related subjects. This show will host not only our great roster of clients from the professional sports world, along with Fortune 500 brands and agencies, but other entrepreneurs and startups. We hope our podcast brings value, and thank you for listening. For general inquiries or topic requests, please email mvppodcast at mvp-interactive.com, and please subscribe to our YouTube page and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud with account name MVP Interactive. And welcome back, everyone, to the latest episode of the MVP Interactive Podcast. We have a very special guest today by the name of Dan Rutstein, our very first international guest, if you will. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. I know it's been a lot of back and forth with uh, exchanging calendar dates and what have you, so we're here. We are here finally. Well, th- well, thank you for calling me very special, and I'm delighted to be your first international international guest. Now, that's great. So before we uh, we learn about your international mystery and how you landed here at the um, Orange County Soccer Club, you, let's talk a little bit about your current role as the Senior Vice President of International Projects. Now, that is a very uh, interesting title. And um, so for our listeners uh, who are, one, unaware of what and who the Orange County Soccer Club is, uh, talk to us a little bit about that and your background as to what led you there. Yeah, so I mean, starting with the Orange County stuff. So you know, I don't, I don't mind that some of your listeners will may well not know who we are. And I think um, Orange County Soccer Club and the the United Soccer League is the league we're in. We are the second tier soccer team, soccer league in America. So everyone's heard of MLS. I would have thought here now. Um, we're the level below that, and it's actually the fastest growing second tier soccer league in the world. Um, obviously, we're growing from a small base, but it's a fascinating league. So you've got the top level, you've got the level below, but it's you know it's a real league. And this is people ask me, this is like, are they real footballers? But yes, it's a real <laughs> league with real professionals. We've got plenty of ex-international players playing for us. People have played in the MLS. People have played in Europe. You know, we play in front of, um, sort of three and a half thousand people. So it's it's not minor sports, minor league sports, but it's comparable in some ways to sort of second tier baseball in terms of size of crowd sure in terms i guess in terms of my story it'd be fair to say i have a non-linear career so i was a sports journalist for 10 years um i did i did a few years of news journalism then sports working in newspapers in england then i did a stint in sports journalism working for a newspaper in bermuda which was the most extraordinary opportunity i'm sure i thought i must get a real job so i joined the british government and i worked for um, a few years in London with the British government in various departments, and then I joined the diplomatic service and was posted a couple of different parts of Germany and then moved out to Los Angeles, which was amazing. And I loved America so much I didn't want to leave, so I got a green card, left government, joined the real world, ran an immersive technology company for a couple of years who did some activations in sport, uh, not at the depth and level that you guys have done. But we, we did other things as well. We did a lot of trade shows. That business was tricky because of the global pandemic and trade shows stopped being a thing. Um, And then I re-emerged out the other end working 
with Orange County Soccer Club. And I think it says a lot about the team that the fact they hired an ex-diplomat with this wonderful job title of SVP International Project says that we are more than just a small sports team. We're a innovative sports team with global ambitions. And that's why I'm part of that journey. Yeah, well, that, that's actually pretty fascinating because the more we're in and around sports and sports properties, you do get a sense of, you know, what the perspective inside the building or the organization is versus maybe what the fans see. And so that's building, you know, the talent and the um, the colleagues within a, a wide range of skill sets and backgrounds to really uh, put forth the mission of the soccer club for the community. But uh, it doesn't surprise me, quite honestly, that, you know, with your background and especially with your international knowledge and been, being in and around sports, whether it's in journalism or uh, government, uh, that it shows that diversity within an organization to show, you know, exactly what it takes, you know, to kind of build a new organization. And, you know, quite honestly, I'd imagine there's challenges as a, Again, I know that you said above minor league, but a semi or a professional league that isn't the major leagues, um, you know, how difficult that is from a t community relations standpoint and, and what are the unique challenges because, you know, resources may not be there, uh, sponsorships aren't, aren't, aren't there. So do you have any, you know, other experience uh, or maybe uh, examples on your colleagues coming from backgrounds that were uh, analogous to uh, sports and, and maybe... Um, you know, what your community relations and outreach and some of those those efforts look like for the Orange County community? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a tricky balance because we need to be, you know, a, a, we need to be a sports team with the, with the foundation in the community because that's how you build all the best sports teams. And I think the way we like to see ourselves is a sort of, there's a sort of community pulse, but there's a global vision to what we're trying to do. So we need to be part of the community. We want our fans to come from the surrounding areas and see the games but more than that we want to be part of their lives and like all good sports teams we have a foundation on the side of the actual sports team and obviously in this past year particularly we've done a lot of work around community relations in terms of literacy programs in local schools and running clinics with our players for the underserved communities and that side of of things and we actually just launched our kit a couple of weeks ago which is obviously a big moment for any sports team ahead of the season starting yeah, by a, a hospital group. So rather than launching the kit with, you know, the players in their kits, we launched it with healthcare workers in the new kit as a thank you to them. So we try and not just sort of talk about community. We try and live the community values. And Orange County is an extraordinary place. We've got, everyone's heard of Orange County. You might not have heard of Orange County soccer club, right. but people have heard of Orange County, whether it's because of the, I think terrible TV show, or they've just they've just heard of it. And we have a discovery issue, which is a lot of people don't know about the soccer team within Orange County. So some of the community relations is around that. But for us, we're trying to build a, a story and a brand and a depth to the community. So a big part of what we do is around player development. So in America, rightly, because college is so expensive, everyone's obsessed with getting scholarships sure. and going to college. We're trying to change that pathway because actually if you're a talented young soccer player in America, what you actually want to do is not go to college. You want to go and play professionally in Europe. And we have an arrangement with Glasgow Rangers in Scotland and we have sold a player to them. We've also sent a player across to a team in Germany. And a lot of what we're trying to do is bring up the best players, 
send them across to Europe as part of their football education. And some of that is, is you know, that's that's good that's good business for a soccer team, but that's also it's about yeah. unity um, and giving young players a chance to be the next Christian Pulisic or or whoever it is over in Europe. So that's another part of what we're trying to do. And the international part of that is part of my role, not on the technical side, but in terms of, you know, we're building this fan base in Scotland where Rangers fans support us. And we're, you know, we've, we've got a bit of a brand and a reputation that we're trying to build in European soccer, as well as trying to build that brand in Orange County as well. Sure. Now that's pretty fascinating. Now I may misunderstood you, but I just want to ask the question. So when you're talking about sort of breeding these new soccer players and looking to recruit them and now is this both from U S soil to overseas and then overseas to U uh, S soil? It, does it work both ways or are you? Yeah. So it, that's a good question. The partnership does work both ways. So, you know, we try and bring talented young players into our team and obviously, like all good sports organisations, however well you run the business, we're a soccer team and we want to win things. We want to win our championship with the best possible team. But we're also looking to give exposure to these players to give them a chance in Europe. And, you know, we've, so we've one player went across the Rangers this year, another player went to Germany last year, and there'll be others going in the future. But then there's another part of it. We've taken players on loan from Glasgow Rangers to play for us. Okay. Because going out on to play in smaller teams is a well-recognised path in soccer. But actually, giving these players a chance to come across to America is a huge opportunity. They grow up as people um, and they get to play in a competitive league, a good level. And then they go back into Scotland, better players, to then go and have their careers there. So it, 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 does, it does work both ways. And for us, it's a balance because we want to generate the next generation of amazing players. But we also want to win the league this year as well. And it's getting that balance. Sure. Sure. Well, that's a really fascinating, um, you know, arrangement and, uh, wish you luck with that. And I think that, uh, that will be, you know, mutually beneficial to, uh, both, uh, divisions, leagues, players, and, and everyone involved in, in football and soccer. Right. So, uh, talk to us a little bit about the culture of the fan experience in Europe in particular, you know, within the Premier League. And, and, you know, I can share a little anecdote from uh, a conversation that I had uh, many years ago, probably about six years ago at this point, but it was with um, Chelsea FC. And and so they had, uh, this was a fascinating point in our sort of business career because it was an inbound phone call that we received from a, a Premier League team. Uh, and we were this young, new, as in many ways, we still are this new startup or early stage business, but we were very young at that point. But it was an inbound call and it was fascinating because it was one of the executives from Chelsea and, you know, the f- conversation really led into this philosophical sort of understanding of the culture of what the fan experience meant to folks in England versus what it means in America and how different, you know, the game day experience culture really is between the two. Because, you know, here in the States, you know, we're very much driven by consumerism. You know, sports sponsorships are, uh, you know, a, a, a sheer revenue driver for a lot of these clubs. And 
So the idea, and this was, say, call it 2013, maybe, uh, when we had this conversation, but here in America, the fan experience and the sports properties were really starting to see a shift in that these were theme park, right, uh, attractions. And it wasn't just about the game. It was about coming early and experiencing, you know, what this full day uh, event was going to be for you, you and your family, and teams were really starting to focus in on that. Properties were growing. Uh, if you think back to the, you know, the new Dallas Cowboys Stadium when that first launched, I mean, that is a that is a tourist attraction, right? I mean, that is a piece of real estate that is multifaceted, and it's a it's a lifestyle center in many ways. And so, uh, we were talking about, you know, what it means for the American consumer to watch or, or participate in a game versus uh, the education really that I received. In in, in, in what it really meant for fans of Chelsea, where, you know, the culture was very much, you kind of hang out into the pub right into the very last minute, you make a mad dash to the, to the pitch, and then you just watch the game and you chant, and, and then you leave. And, and so I would hope, selfishly, but also from a, an experience standpoint, that culture has, has shifted to a degree. So maybe talk to us a little bit from your experience, um, you know, how accurate that is today or maybe from the past and where you see that evolving and if there is any sort of um, continued outreach in, you know, in America here to see what we're doing to, to bring over uh, overseas. Yeah, so excellent question. So let me just ask you a question. I assume that you didn't get anywhere with Chelsea in the sense that you didn't do a project for them. We absolutely did not. And, and quite honestly, it was never about the phone call was never about that. They just really wanted to talk about what we did and what we saw and what it meant to watch sports in America. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and so you think that doesn't surprise me. It's absolutely fascinating. So People have been playing versions of soccer for 120-something years in the UK. And the fan experience is remarkably simple. And as you say, it is, if you do it properly, you it's a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, that, some of that's changing because of television, but that's really where it was rooted. You meet your friends at 12 o'clock at the pub. So which is obviously not owned by the club in any way. It's just the pub. You <laughs> often sit in the same seat. You have you have a drink or, or three. You walk to the game at five to three. You go <laughs> in. You take your seat next to the guy or girl that you've been sitting next to for the last 15 years with your season ticket. You watch the game. At half time. if you have to, you go and buy a pie. Um, and maybe a pint, although the pint's gone now because you can't drink at games, but you go and buy a pie and you, you know, if it's a quiet game, you'll leave five minutes before halftime starts so you don't have to queue up for too long. But often you just suck up the queue. <laughs> there are very long queues at the men's toilets and very short queues at the ladies' toilets. And then at 10 to 5 when the game's finished, you go home. You might go back to the pub, but you might just go straight home. And that's it. That's game day. Mm. And in terms of how it's marketed, so I'm a fan of AFC Wimbledon. So if we're playing... If AFC Wimbledon are playing Blackpool, the game is marketed as AFC Wimbledon versus Blackpool. That's it. Right. And there'll be a match sponsor. You know, in the corner of the physical program, there'll be a little thing that says, today's game is brought to you by, you know, Joe Bloggs Pies. Sure. And there might be an announcement on the PA system. There's probably not a scoreboard. And if there is, there might be a little flash up there. And that's sort of it. 
over here, as you know, it <laughs> is an entirely different, you know, it's an entirely different ball game. And there's tailgating and every game is featured. It's military appreciation night. It's fiesta to football. It's, you know, Black History Month and a series of games around that. There's always something at every game. Bobblehead night. Get there early and you get free parking if you turn up at a Honda. You know, whoever's sponsoring it, there's always something. Um, even those bathroom, entire- even the bathroom breaks are now sponsored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and obviously there's all the, you know, the broadcast stuff. There's all the kiss cams and they've been doing cleansing cams. One of the teams had a sort of Clorox-sponsored thing where oh yeah we saw that yeah that that was great um but everything is is branded the fascinating thing is everything is branded over here weirdly except front of shirt in soccer it is but not in baseball and basketball they're sneaking in little logos obviously in england we've been doing front of shirt for as long as pretty much people can remember yeah but it's a very very different experience and obviously the marketing opportunities are different so the world that you're in of Snapchat filters and clever AR mirrors and AR murals. It's not in some ways even worth doing that in the UK because people don't, they're not going to look at their phone during the game because mm-hmm. they're watching the game. They're not going to turn up half an hour early and engage in some kind of AR mirror interactivity with a player with a frame branded by a local company because they're at the pub. And when they're not at the pub, they're just sitting down to watch the game. Um, and they almost don't want those distractions. And so it is extraordinary here that you're the opposite. And, you know, you look at the Cowboys who you mentioned, you know, they, when they launched the new stadium and the partnership with AT&T, they had these incredible AR filters where a giant Ezekiel would appear on top of the stadium eating things. And then you could have your very clever AR mirror done with six different players getting involved and people were lining up. That stuff went viral, Mm -hmm. but you need to do that because people are there two hours before it's a whole day out. It's a very different experience. So the opportunities for sort of interactive fan tech over here are completely different. And even though the British teams have obviously got, even despite this year, a lot of money and they've got very captive fan audiences. They don't almost need to do that stuff. And that's not what's part of the day here. It's a different ballgame. We had a fascinating internal discussion at our team. We were planning our promotional schedule and we've got a couple of minor league baseball guys who are involved as the president of the club and head of marketing. And we were going through the, you know, our 16 home games and which one's fireworks night and which one's beer fest and which one's dollar beer night. And I sort of put my hand up and said, can we not just have a soccer theme night? Like the theme tonight can be Orange County are playing San Diego and that's it. And they, they laughed because I think they thought I was joking. Um, and it doesn't work like that. And actually a friend of mine owns an independent baseball team up in Portland. And he was saying one night of their however many home games, they had a they called it just baseball night. And it was the lowest attendance and the lowest revenues of the season. So that just doesn't work. People don't just turn up and watch sport here. They demand a lot more. Yeah. And, you know, 
It, it, it is absolutely fascinating, and it's 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 a bigger sociological experiment or investigation beyond my my scope. But you know, learning the 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 real cultural difference in terms of what it is to be an American sports fan and what it means, you know, because uh, you know, quite honestly, you know, this transition of heavily sponsored events began in the '80s here, and so many generations, the buying generations now, uh, in in future. Now to the future, this is the expectation. And yeah, of course, you know, if you're going to spend $400 on a family of four just to, you know, participate and view a game, you know, there there wants to be that, there should be that memory and that sort of exchange of, you know, value in terms of how, uh, you know, teams are competing for interest and eyes and views and, you know, uh, what it means to watch the game at home versus what it means at the, at the venue itself. And so, you know, there's a lot of challenges here, at least culturally in, in America um, that, that influences all of these ancillary pieces to what the game day experience is. So, uh, you know, we did have one experience where we were perfectly able to balance what the cultural adaptation of watching a, a U.S. sport team uh, Washington football team played in England a few years ago. And, and as you can see and know that the NFL is making a concerted effort in you know, crossing the pond, so to speak, to, to kind of bring NFL culture to, to England. And, and so uh, we had previously developed a VR experience for the Washington football team where it was this 360 experience where you as the fan had this uh, opportunity to kind of run out of the tunnel, go onto the field, and you were immersed, you know, in 360. And, and so we were able to equip that team with mobile VR headsets with the, at the time it was the, the Samsung 360 gear uh, that they brought to their pub event uh, overseas prior to the game. And so it was a, such a perfect balance of, you know, infusing fan experience technology to the culture of what, you know, Londoners were, or how they consumed the game day or how they connected to a team um, and really merging that, right? And so I thought that was a great, uh, experience for for everyone involved. The the content produced or performed very well. The team was extremely happy with you know the outreach and, and you know and we also had a bit of a survey in terms of post experience in you know how at that time and this was call it 2015 2016 uh, where VR and headsets weren't widely available as they were now. Uh, you know they associated being able to experience that technology with a football team. You, you know, and say, hey, I'd, I'd heard about VR. I've never had the opportunity to really experience it. So now my affinity towards the team is even greater because they brought this opportunity to me that I really got immersed and I got to experience VR. And now I can talk to people about VR. So I thought that was that was pretty clever and um, a really great experience for everyone. And it's interesting because uh, so when I was in government, one of my jobs, I, I managed the NFL relationship with the UK. So bringing the games over was a big part of it. And we had the fan fests that they used to do where they'd close off parts of, you know, pedestrianised streets in London and do fan fests. And interestingly, my last my last company did exactly the same thing with the Jacksonville Jaguars with a VR experience, which yep. thousands of people used. But And it was interesting. It worked because it was American football. So it was sort of okay to do that stuff. Interesting. It, okay. Okay. Um, so they and, let their guard down if it's an American activity. To a yeah, and okay. some of it wasn't at the game in the same way. Um, and they almost, you know, these were fan fests that they were running ahead of these big games that just sort of wouldn't work on a day-to-day -day soccer game. Now, it, 
it's going to be interesting how things play out because we've had the year without fans, effectively, for soccer teams. And obviously fans are coming back. Now, I don't think they're going to necessarily immediately demand a richer experience, but people are, I think there's almost a chance to reset and start thinking differently about Huge what it's all going to look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know in America, particularly, we're expecting, you know, our, our season starts next month. We're expecting fans to come back in droves in the way that you've seen on TV, the sports that have started recently, you know, the baseball season started up. There's a few thousand people in these games and depending which state you're in, some of them are pretty much full. I mean, people are just desperate to go back, but there's going to be a point where some of that initial desperation is over. And then they're going to be like, hold on a minute. Life's gone back to normal. I can now choose to go to a concert, a sporting event or whatever else it is, like make it worth my while. What are you offering me? Um, and not even I don't, and obviously some people economically have struggled, but obviously plenty of people in a strange way haven't. So the people who want to go back, and it's not about reduce the price, it's what's the value proposition? Enrich the what experience, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a very good point, and it's something that's within our purview in terms of really forecasting what the future and outlook looks like for a business like ours, in where mm. we've been banging this drum well before the drum even existed, right, in this fan experience using immersive technology as a part of the game day experience. And so um, sort of being out in front of the market was a very challenging uh, growth schedule for us. And so here we are continuing to fight the headwinds of, you know, the lack of live events. But, you know, the way that we look at it is now that we have this eight, nine years of foundational experience and expertise to know when the lights are coming on, the body of work and technology that we have at our sort of repository is going to be a huge benefit to uh, to everyone in terms of how teams are going to look at what the concourse actually means in terms of game day activation. And, you know, we always felt that it was the artery to the, the game day experience. Right. And, and so, so we're excited about that. And, and um, yeah, to your point of sort of this odd found disposable income where folks were really <laughs> restricted from spending maybe outside of, you know, food, alcohol, and some <laughs> Amazon purchases, by by and large, you're starting to see that in the housing market, right? And then supply chain issues with construction and what people are investing in. And so, yeah, I think um, good for, for folks that were able to kind of navigate and, and really uh, tighten things up and, and save. And so, uh, yeah, that's a very good point in being able to sort of, hey, you know, again, we speak to that consumer culture here in America where it's like, hey, go out and spend. And so, uh, yeah, properties should see this as an opportunity and, and brands involved because, you know, a lot of the market research that we see here and in, in our business is, you know, that experience outweighs, you know, the transaction of the purchase, right, of whatever that is. And so more and more, and especially in younger generations, we're talking about uh, Gen Z and millennials where experience you know, goes beyond an actual purchase. And I think it's smart for brands to kind of alternatively connect with a consumer through these experiences where it doesn't feel as obtrusive or sort of, um, you know, anti. And, and, I, and I'd, I'd really be interested to learn a little bit 
about the culture overseas and in terms of is there brand resistance when it comes to advertisement? Because we're starting to see some of that with younger generations where, you know, it's not the TV commercials that stick anymore. It's not the print ads that stick anymore. It's these sort of memorable event-based experiences that really seem to resonate. So um, curious to hear your thoughts, you know, culturally, you know, what that resistance to sort of brand engagement is overseas. Yeah, I mean, I think in Britain particularly, we always see the American obsession with consumerism as a bad thing. So we will have no trouble buying a football shirt with whatever is written on the front. Like, it doesn't, doesn't, that's not a problem. You know, if, if <laughs> Liverpool is sponsored by Standard Charter, then you buy a shirt and you're walking around with a big advert for Standard Charter. But that's okay because that's, that's the, the arrangement. Right. But what, I remember when I first moved to America, I found it fascinating. So, you know, you're watching the football game and then it, it's obviously there's more breaks in American sport. But when you get to the break, it's, you know, this time timeout is brought to you by Bud Light or whatever it is. Um, and this weird thing, they're now trying to make it native, but it's not native where I was watching a Lakers game the other night. And I think there was something around um, Jack in the Box, you know, if there was five th- no it was in a baseball game yeah if there was five strikeouts you get a free so it was it was dodgers yep. you get yep. you get a free something or other i think it's like yes i really enjoy my jack-in-the-box chicken sandwich yes i do as well they're amazing and it's just it was so you know they're obviously paid to read that stuff out and it just sounds awful and that would never wash in the uk it would be jumped upon and when peyton manning mentioned a beer in his post uh, game speech at the Super Bowl that was not well received yeah, that was well received in America it certainly wasn't well received in Britain so we like our you know we know these football teams are built on advertising we like to watch the game and then during half time there'll be an advert from a it's actually a lot of gambling sites will say you know it, it, it's four to one with William Hill that there'll be a yellow card in the next 20 minutes we right. don't mind that stuff right. we just don't want people reading out weird fake adverts yeah and really pushing unnecessary things in your face we just want a shirt with a name on it and seeing the advertising boards around the ground and that's sort of our comfort level reached okay so it, it really seems to an authenticity issue right you, you don't want to be force-fed anything it needs to feel organic uh it needs to you know quite honestly tie into the passion of the club itself, right? Where the sponsor is secondary because your involvement and your affinity is to the club first. And then, like you said, you accept sort of sponsorship or adverts that that just are just, you know, a part of the holistic relationship. So, uh, you know, I would argue that I, I would love to be able to disrupt that, you know, through technology, because I think that's exactly our point in our mission in terms of breaking down those barriers where it doesn't feel inauthentic if you are experiencing a VR um, experience that gives you access that's unprecedented to your normal everyday life. And then there happens to be some sponsorship messaging, right? And so I think if you can get smart with how you connect with the consumer or connect with the fan when you're leveraging the sport asset first, it's really powerful, right? And I think from, from our perspective, that's what we root for. That's what we, are, you know, when we connect with these properties, that, that's really our value proposition. Yeah, and it's this sort of personalized native advertising. So, you know, one of the most successful 
certainly at the time, Snapchat campus was the Gatorade being poured over your head filter. So it was shared millions of times. Yeah. So because it was fun and it was yep. engaging. So I would send to my friend, I mean, I didn't do it, but mm-hmm. you know, people, one would send to one's friend, Gatorade be pouring over their head. Now yeah. they don't care about the Gatorade. They care about the hilarious filter, <laughs> but Gatorade's on the side of the, you know, the big orange pail. So, you know, that is, that's genius. That's yeah. where it works. So, you know, if you're at a game and you're walking through the concourse and obviously you're there early, you know, you're, you're, you're going through the club shop, you're, buying the food and drink that's great you know if there is a augmented reality experience where you can stand in front of a mirror and you can have your picture taken passing the ball to your favorite player now obviously you know the shirt sponsor will be on the front of the shirt now in in soccer if around the frame it's sort of this experience was brought to you by x company and that's just on the frame that you have to share with your friends some people will try and squeeze the oh, picture sure. and cut it out. Absolutely. most people yeah. will just send it um, because the experience has value. And I think that's where it gets really interesting for brands, sure. that they force their way effectively to be shared by people. Right. And I think that's part of the fan experience. I would have no problem being at a game and some clever AR filter where there's branding in the background if it's something fun that I'd want to share with my friends. And I think that's the sort of stuff that you want to see rather than half-time is brought to you by Cheetos. Right, right. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about our differences here. Uh, let's talk about some similarities from your perspective. You know, being able to have really frontline experience overseas and here in America. You know, when it comes to, you know, maybe less about the consuming the sports, but, you know, the, the maybe the community. And, and have you identified similarities with, you know, what the U.S. fan um is versus what the, the the British fan is, and you know what kind of connective tissue is there, if at all. Yeah, so I think it's. I think the secret is to, and this is something we're trying to do at the club, and there's some tensions because we have to do all of the American themed things, but we want we want real football. We want well, soccer fans. We want people to come and watch the game and enjoy the game. So. You know, in baseball, there's statistics about what percentage of fans leave after seven innings and never know a score at the end. But soccer's different. It's not a very long game. There's not many natural breaks. You know, you've basically got half time and that's it. It's it's 90 minutes of action, which the ball's in play for about 60 minutes. It's meant to be fast paced. We want people to come and watch our games to enjoy the soccer. Now, we know we have to do dollar beer night and beer fests and touch a truck and all those things around it. But we still want the real soccer fans to just come and watch the game for whatever the theme is that night. Come and watch the game and enjoy the game. So we have to make sure the product works on the field. But we also need to generate, you know, people like football because it's a simple game. And they look at people playing and they try and recreate some of those moves at home and so on. So we want real fans to come for the football um, and, or, you know, come for the dollar beer and stay for the football. And real football fans like watching football. You know, if we've got a team who are winning, that ultimately will probably do more for ticket sales in the second half of the season than if we have half price hot dogs. And I think that for us is a is a big part of that. And we want our players to be part of the community. We want them to be accessible. Now, COVID means you can't do certain things in terms of 
players walking through the crowd signing things. But as the season wears on and more people are vaccinated, some of that will change. But we want our players to be doing community appearances. We want the kids to come on at half-time and try and score a goal against our mascot or the goalkeeper. Those sorts of things that engage fans. That's a big part of it. I think for me, there's a sweet spot. And teams in the MLS, like LAFC, Atlanta and Portland, particularly have found this, where... If you go to the game, it feels like a proper football game. When I say proper football, it feels like a European mm-hmm. soccer game. Right. The, the, you know, the noise, the crowd, the fan experience bit that you want as a fan is there. But like in Portland, where Joey Timber cuts off, you know, a piece of wood when they score, like that wouldn't happen at an English game. But that's that's okay. I don't mind that. Right. You know, you don't need cheerleaders and some of that stuff. You sort of want good football on the pitch and then something American to boost it. A bit. <laughs> it doesn't have to just all be craziness and people go home at half time because they've had the free bobblehead and whatever they wanted and they don't know the end the score you know we want them to be proper fans with some extras rather than just the extras and not caring about the actual sport well i think we can all agree that the community around the team itself and what it means to be connected to that team as a fan as a colleague you know, as a community, you know, that's really important. I uh, had the opportunity, you know, last football season to attend a Philadelphia Eagles game. And you mentioned COVID. And, uh, you know, there was maybe two games of the whole year that we had that small window that they were letting limited fans in. So I was able to get in. And I can tell you, it was great to be back in the stadium, but not having the community and the fan base and a packed stadium completely took away from the overall experience and it was a great game it was a great game on field but you know the camaraderie that was missing there really took something away from me in terms of what it meant to attend that game so there is a lot of value with the traditional hey what's important is actually what's happening on the field and nothing else matters within those time frames so i i get that and so um you know we are you know geez i think the, the whole world is looking forward to a a time and a place that we can get back to that environment and i will say today I think we're one step closer. You know, we can announce that the CDC for vaccinated folks, we can, you know, be unmasked outside. So we are um, getting closer to that that normal again. And so uh, I think I can speak for everyone that, you know, we're all looking forward to that. So, Dan, we're, we're getting close to time here. So I, I do want to kind of end this on uh, a bit of a promotional point for, for you in the uh, Ocean or Orange County Soccer Club. Uh, you had mentioned your season starts next month. Uh, why don't you tell us, you know, who, what, when and where, you know, where can you attend a game, you know, where to buy tickets and, you know, what we can look forward to with the club itself? Well, thank you. So, yeah, so we're in Irvine in Orange County. The season starts, our home opener is the 22nd of May. And we've got restrictions on fans for the first few games. But if people are to be believed, and we believe them, June the 15th, California opens up and then we'll be back at full capacity. And I think for me, the most exciting thing about this is, you know, I can't, I cannot wait having... I grew up watching football. I had a season ticket with my team for years. I cannot wait to walk into that football stadium on the 22nd of May where there'll be probably 1,500 people because that's all be allowed and there'll be families together and friends who used to sit next to each other these games who may not have had a chance to do this for a year come, come together 
And because it's Orange County, our corporate area is Cabanas, because why wouldn't you watch football from Cabanas if you're in Orange County? <laughs> and have all these people together, drinking beer, watching football, enjoying the soccer, buying the merchandise, wearing the colours, beating the drums, all that stuff, that the noise, even a relatively small crowd can make, as we've seen this in some of the teams who've let people back in, it's just going to be extraordinary. And, you know, for 90 minutes, plus the maybe the hour of tailgating that's important here in America, people can forget about this terrible year they've all had Absolutely. and just focus on being together with their families, with their friends, enjoying sport, enjoying being with other people, at our home opener, we're going to do a tribute to the healthcare workers that we we work with on our kit launch. So there'll be that moment to sort of remember what's gone before. But this is the summer of returning to normal and building our lives back again. And frankly, for someone who's grown up with sport, watching football together, all those people and, and bringing sport back, it's an important part of giving people normality in their lives and sense of community. And, and hopefully we'll win as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I look forward to the day and I, I do, I, I cannot wait, you know, speaking of the West Coast, I usually uh, am in, you know, Southern California once a quarter and it's been, <laughs> it's been a lot of quarters that I haven't been out there, but I'm looking to, to make a trip um, upcoming in June. So it's uh, music to my ears when you said June 15th, it'll be after that date. So it'll be wonderful to be able to travel again and then hopefully I'll, I'll catch a game. 100%. I will, okay. I will send you off fixtures if it works. I would love nothing more than to have you as a guest in our cabanas, drinking <laughs> a nice whiskey, watching a great game of football. That sounds amazing, Dan. Dan, thank you so much. And before we head out here, why don't we tell our listeners where we can find you personally? I understand that you're a bit of a podcaster yourself. And, and so why don't you give a shout out to um, your, your podcasts um, and where we can find you? Thanks, James. So I'm I'm on Twitter um, at Dan Rutstein, and then I've got three podcasts: United States of Dramerica, which is uh, discussion over a glass of whiskey. And James, you are going to be a guest on that. I, yes, please um, put me down. So we'll share a whiskey for that one. Then I've got a soccer podcast, America: The Beautiful Game, and then I've got a podcast about failure and rejection in Hollywood called Screaming into the Hollywood Abyss, which is a completely different subject, uh, but fascinating nonetheless. Hey, you know, when in Southern California, you have to, right? You, you know, like you can't go without it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, we well, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, until next time, thanks for tuning in to the MVP Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>